Keep your Bible open to John chapter 20, if you would. Today is a special day for our church family. When you arrived today, you received these eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper talking about Servanthood Sunday and explaining some of the ways that you can serve with your church family. And so we've provided that for you. And after the service is over, there will be a further opportunity for you to learn a little bit about how you can serve with your church and serve on different teams uh, in order to use your gifts to serve others to the glory of God. Every year we do Servanthood Sunday, and often we connect Servanthood Sunday with some way of celebrating what God is doing here in our congregation or in our church family or some way that God has been at work. But today, actually kind of accidentally, we didn't fully plan it this way from the beginning, but kind of accidentally, our Servanthood Sunday is lining up at the same time as a send-off Sunday. Today is a day, you know, we've been talking for a few years as a church family about the fact that one of the ways that we want to grow in maturity together as a church family is we want to grow in our connection with God's global vision, with God's global disciple-making vision, with the, the global scope of the Great Commission. We want to grow in that together as a church family, and we've been talking about that for a few years, and now today is kind of a milestone, kind of a significant mark for us, not a finish line, but a significant step for our church family, because today we are going to bless and send out on mission some very dear saints before our service is done. Today we will bless and send out Chris and Amy Lindstrom, along with their kids, Wes and Laura and Anna. And today we will bless and send out Aaron and Andrea Patterson, along with their kids Brant, Gwendolyn, Tess, Harvey, and Penelope. Both families will be flying this week to their destination of Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, in East Africa. Both families will be serving a school there called Haven of Peace Academy, or kind of affectionately referred to for short as HOPAC. It's a school with Christian roots and Christian administration, but a school that serves kids from a variety of religious and ethnic backgrounds. Uh, about three-quarters of the students there are Tanzanian. Some of them are Asian, uh, and some are Westerners. Amongst the Westerners, some or many of those are uh, children of missionaries in East Africa. But these families will be traveling to serve at Hopak. Chris and Amy are returning to Dar es Salaam, where they served for a couple of years leading up to the COVID-19 pandemic when they had to come back to the United States. But happily, even though when they returned, kind of tearfully un unsure of what the Lord had next and how the Lord would lead forward, we are very happy to say that the Lord has answered our prayers and provided a way for them to return and not only return for Chris to continue teaching, but now for Chris to serve in the administration of that school there at Hopak. And the Patterson family is preparing to travel to Dar es Salaam for the very first time. They've made a commitment to move to East Africa sight unseen. Good for you. <laughs> They're traveling there so that Aaron can take a position teaching elementary school kids there at Hopak in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Later today, before our service is over, we're going to spend a few minutes as a congregation praying together over them and praying for God's blessing as they go. And so with this connection today between Servanthood Sunday, as we think about using our gifts to serve others to the glory of God here in this area... And as we think about sending out some of our dearly beloved brothers and sisters to another part of the planet to use their gifts to serve others to the glory of God, 
As we're thinking about these two things, servanthood and sending out others, disciple-making here and disciple-making in Africa, Jesus' mission in North America and Jesus' mission in East Africa. As we think about these couple of things together, we're taking a break in our normal sermon series to look at a passage of Scripture that teaches us something really important about Jesus' mission and His intention for us as His followers. See, there's an important question. What's going to carry our brothers and sisters through the next few years as they're serving others through thick and thin, through the easy things, the happy things, the hard things, and the sad things? What's going to keep them going in the mission of Jesus while they're serving there in Tanzania? And relatedly, for those of us who are disciples of Jesus planted here in Illinois, what's going to keep us going in the easier times and the harder times, in the happier times and the sadder times, in the times that are more fun to serve, in the times that are more challenging to serve? What's going to keep us going in serving Jesus and serving others in His name to the glory of God? What's going to keep our brothers and sisters going in Africa? What's going to keep us going here in Illinois? These are important questions for us to consider and questions that we find important and profound and meaningful and rich answers to here in John chapter 20. Before I show you some of the more specific answers to those questions, let's pay attention for just a moment to the setting of this brief account that we read here in John chapter 20. Two things I want you to notice about the setting according to John chapter 20, verse 19. The first thing I want you to notice is that this account is set on Easter Sunday. I don't mean like the day that, you know, we get together in our nice clothes. I mean like Easter, Easter Sunday, the original Easter Sunday. Verse 19 says, on the evening of that day, which day? On the evening of the very day that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb assuming that Jesus was dead and buried. Why did she assume that Jesus was dead and buried? Because she, along with the disciples, had just watched Jesus get killed by the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders working together. Just on Friday evening, they watched Jesus die slowly in agony on that brutal instrument of execution known as a cross. Just on Friday evening, they had watched Jesus die a slow and and excruciatingly painful death. And then on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene is going to the tomb assuming, reasonably we might say, that Jesus is still dead. That darkness still covers the face of the earth. That hope in Jesus is over. But instead of finding death and darkness, what she finds is the dawn of a whole new era with the empty tomb. And and after discovering the good news of the empty tomb, the good news that the grave could not hold Jesus, she actually met Jesus face to face. And falling at his feet and kind of clinging to the hem of his robes, Jesus said, don't cling to me now. I've got something for you to do. And Jesus sent her to go and preach the good news to the disciples. Jesus sent her to go and tell the good news of the resurrection to the disciples. So she went and she took that good news to them. And then verse, nine tells, verse 19 tells us, on the evening of that day. So when we meet the disciples here in John chapter 20, these are disciples who have heard the gospel. These are disciples who have heard the good news of the resurrection, but here's the second detail I want you to pay attention to in the setting. Even though the disciples have heard the good news of the resurrection, even though they've heard the good news of the dawn of hope and the dawn of a whole new era, what are they doing at the beginning of this little story here in verse 19? What are they doing? They're huddling together behind locked doors. Having heard 
the best news the world could ever receive, that death is defeated and a new era has begun, what do they do? They huddle together and they hide behind locked doors. And I wish that this story were the end of disciples huddling together and hiding behind locked doors. But unfortunately, as we look at Christians around the world and across the centuries, quite often what we find is that after people hear the best news that the world has ever heard, the good news that through, that, that through the resurrection, death is defeated, hope is dawning, new life is spreading. After having heard the good news of the resurrection, what do we do? We huddle together behind locked doors. And it's not just us. In fact, um, a few years ago in 1974, which feels like a lifetime ago to some and feels like another century to all of the kids born in the 21st century. But back in 1974, there was a global gathering of Christians who got together to talk about world missions. Leaders from 150 nations around the world gathered together in what was called the International Congress on World Evangelization at Luzon. Billy Graham, you may have heard of him, John Stott, Rene Padilla were among the key speakers at that gathering. And before these missions leaders from 150 different nations, before these Christian disciples, these Christian leaders from 150 different nations scattered back around the globe, they created a document together. They called it the Luzon Covenant. And here's a section from the very first paragraph of that document that they wrote together, speaking kind of on behalf of the global church. Here's a section from the very first paragraph. They wrote, we confess, which by the way, I love that they begin with confession. <laughs> the whole Luzon covenant begins with a recognition of our triune God and confession of our own failures. What a profoundly Christian Approach. Sometimes the most missional thing we can do is repent. Sometimes one of the most Christian things we can do is acknowledge our failures and fall back afresh on God's mercy. We confess that we have often denied our calling and failed in our mission by becoming conformed to the world or by withdrawing from it. They could have just written hiding behind locked doors, right? The task of making gospel treasures known in the power of the Holy Spirit, to that task, we desire to dedicate ourselves anew. You see, it's not just maybe you and me who have a tendency, having heard the good news, to withdraw along with a few other Christians and lock the doors and keep our faith personal and private and safe. It's Christians around the world who need to confess this tendency. And what do we need to see in order to get us outside of those locked doors? What do we need to hear? I think in large measure what we need is what these disciples in John chapter 20 needed. We need a fresh vision of Jesus and a fresh understanding of the part that He's inviting us to play in the great story of redemption. In fact, here's how the Luzon Covenant describes that a little bit further. Later on in their document, they say, We affirm that Christ sends His redeemed people into the world as the Father sent Him. And that this calls for a similar deep and costly penetration of the world. We need to break out of our ecclesiastical ghettos. I love that line. Do you feel this, Christians? We need to break out of our ecclesiastical ghettos and permeate, get into non-Christian society. 
And then this famous line from the Luzon Covenant. World evangelization requires, listen to this, the whole church, not just Billy Graham. And we're not being mean to him by saying that. He was there when this was written. World evangelization requires the whole church. If you're a disciple, if you're a believer, world evangelization requires your participation. World evangelization requires the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. And then they conclude all churches, they conclude this paragraph saying all churches should therefore be asking God and themselves, what should they be doing? Both to reach their own area and to send missionaries to other parts of the world. And I bring this up not just to pat ourselves on the back, not just that we can have this happy moment and say, good for us, high fives to each other, we're sending people to another part of the world today. I'm raising this this issue from the Lausanne Covenant so that we can really ask ourselves, what is the part that we can play in sending and supporting our brothers and sisters as they continue to serve others in the name of Jesus to the glory of God? How can we play a part in sending and supporting and serving them in in their part of the mission? And how can we play our part for those of us who are called to stay rooted here for the next leg of the journey? All churches should therefore be asking God and themselves what they should be doing both to reach their own area and to send missionaries to other parts of the world. This is is the task that is ahead of us. How will we play our part in God's greater global mission? How will we play our part in that great story of redemption that Jesus is inviting and sending us into? And what will keep us going in that mission? Let me share with you from John 20 four specific things that we can't afford to forget. Four specific things that we need to keep hold of in order to keep going in this great story of redemption, in this greater mission that our Lord and Savior Jesus calls us to. A first thing that we can't forget is this. Don't forget the good news of peace. Here is the risen Lord in John 20. On the day He defeated death and walked out of the grave alive. And he shows up amongst his disciples in order to draw them out. He comes in to where they are to get them out on mission, right? But when he comes into where they are, notice the message that he brings. He brings a message of peace. The end of verse 19. Peace be with you. And again, For the sake of repetition, in order to underline the importance of this, verse 21, peace be with you. That word peace is one of the great words of the Bible. In Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament and the language of the Jewish people, that word is shalom. In Greek, that word is arene. In English, we translate it peace. But I worry sometimes that something gets a little bit lost in translation. Because when we think of peace, the first thing that comes to our minds is kind of just a sense of less anxiety. And I do think that when we experience peace in its fullness, there will be less internal anxiety, but if that's all we understand in the Bible's vision for peace, we're missing something, we're losing something in translation. You see, that idea of 
shalom kind of peace refers not only to less anxiety, it refers to things being right with our Maker and Creator. It refers to things being in harmony with Yahweh Himself. And that idea of shalom refers not only to living in harmony with God, it refers also to living in harmony with our neighbor, with other people around us. That idea of shalom in Scripture, in some cases, even refers to kind of living in harmony with the world itself. We might say it refers to a state in which the whole world itself is right and functioning the way it should. This is the Bible's great vision for peace. In other words, shalom is what was lost when we as humans turned our backs on our Creator and rebelled against Him and turned each one to His own way, we lost that sense of harmony with God. We lost that sense of harmony with one another. And according to the pages of Scripture, even our planet itself is cursed and groaning for redemption. See, shalom is what we were made for. A right relationship with God, a right relationship with others in a world functioning the way it's supposed to. Shalom is what was lost in the fall of humanity. But here, our risen Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, he shows up resurrected and risen in new life. And what's the first word that he has for his disciples? You know what you lost? That right relationship with God? That right relationship with other people? The problem of the world itself groaning for redemption? Our risen Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, shows up amongst his followers, and his word to them is, Shalom is yours. My shalom I am giving to you. And I think this is part of why some of the some of Jesus' followers through the years began to take on a sense of identity uh, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Representatives of another kingdom, representatives or ambassadors who are present in this place, present in a city with a particular message. You can be reconciled with God today. You can experience and enjoy shalom beginning with a new relationship with God, unfolding into a new relationship with others, one day experiencing the renewal of all things when he comes and makes all things new. I think this is why Jesus' followers began to describe themselves as ambassadors of God's kingdom, ambassadors who go into whatever city they live in telling others there's good news. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom of God. You can be reconciled. You can experience that kind of peace that we all long for. One thing that we can't afford to forget is this good news of peace. And so let me just pause for one moment and, and let me just say to Chris and Amy and to... Aaron and Andrea, there they are. <laughs> Let me just say to Aaron and Andrea, to Chris and to Amy, don't forget this precious good news that you get to represent wherever you go. And disciples of Jesus who are called to remain rooted here in Aurora, don't forget this precious good news message, a message of peace Peace with God, peace with others, 
hope of the world made new. This precious treasure of a message that we get to represent wherever we're planted. One thing that we can't afford to forget is this good news of peace. A second thing that we can't afford to forget is the scars of Jesus. This is the second thing I want to say is don't forget the scars of Jesus. After he speaks a message of peace in verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He holds out his hands where the nails had been driven in to suspend his body on the cross just a couple of days earlier. He shows them his side where the soldiers had taken the spear and just to be sure that he was totally dead. They shoved that spear right into his side. And now our risen Lord Jesus, he shows up and he says, peace be with you. And in his resurrected body, he holds out his hands. He shows them his side. And track with this for a second. In his resurrected body, what he shows them is not nothing here to see. What he shows them, as John is going to explain a little later in John chapter 20, that those scars still remain. Those signs of the wounds that he endured for our sake, those signs of the chastisement that he endured in order to bring us peace, those wounds haven't vanished. In fact, these scars remain. And they remain as a sign. You know what these scars are? They're his credentials. They're his credentials that he holds out to people who say, I believe that Jesus died, but I have a really hard time believing that he was raised from the dead. These scars are his credentials of authenticity. It really is me. And I really am here. And it's not just a figment of your imagination or a wish dream that you've come up with. These scars are his credentials of authenticity. These scars are not only the credentials of his authenticity, they're the credentials of his suffering. Which is so important for those of us who live in a world stained by suffering, right? They're his credentials that say, I get it. I've suffered too. They're his credentials that speak to Christians who will be forced to make sacrifices on behalf of the kingdom. Sometimes those sacrifices will feel like saying goodbye to a beloved friend. Sometimes those sacrifices will look like selling your home and virtually all of your possessions, except for about 10 to 15 suitcases. Sometimes those sacrifices will involve insults, persecutions, We'd be fooling ourselves if we believed that Christians around the world and across the ages have not sometimes had to face the issue of sacrificing their own lives on account of this mission. And here's the thing. Before our Savior Jesus calls us into the pathway of following Him, and taking up our cross and dying to ourselves and serving others even when it really feels sacrificial. Before he calls us into that, he holds out his hands 
And he says, these scars are the credentials of my own suffering. But these, these scars are not only credentials of his authenticity and his suffering. These scars are also the credentials of his triumph over death and suffering and darkness and evil. These scars on the hands of the risen Lord Jesus Christ are a sign that even death is not the end. They're the sign that even death can't hold this thing back. They're the signs that no matter how much we feel like we're giving up, as Jesus himself promised, we will not fail to receive a hundredfold in the kingdom of God. These scars on the hands of the risen Lord Jesus are his credentials of authenticity. He's not just a wish dream. They're his credentials of fellow suffering. In fact, suffering beyond what you or I will ever suffer in this life. And these scars are his credentials of triumph. Victory over sin, death, evil, and darkness. Testifying to us. It's worth it to follow him. It's worth it. And so Chris and Amy and Aaron and Andrea, and to those of us who are called to continue the mission of Jesus here in this place, here's the second thing that we can't afford to forget. Don't forget the scars of Jesus. Don't forget that we serve a wounded Redeemer who himself Suffered for the sake of others. Suffered. Don't forget that we serve a wounded Redeemer whose scars testify that even death is not the end. A third thing that we can't afford to forget as we follow Jesus is this. It's the bigger mission. It's the much Bigger mission, I would say. John chapter 20, verse 21. Having spoken a blessing of peace and having held out his hands, showing his credentials and his scars as a wounded redeemer. Verse 21, he goes on to say, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, I think most of us catch what Jesus is saying in the second half of that. I'm sending you. Don't just huddle up and live your life behind locked doors. You got a light, you got to let it shine. I think most of us catch what Jesus is saying in the second half of that. I'm sending you. But here's where, like, our minds just kind of explode. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. You see, as some of our brothers and sisters are moving to Tanzania to serve others in the name of Jesus, to represent the love of Jesus and the hope of the gospel. And some of our brothers and sisters are moving to Tanzania as representatives of the gospel of peace. They aren't just doing our mission. And, I'm, track with me here, they aren't even just doing like the mission that Jesus sent us on. They're participating in the mission of God. Now, our brains kind of explode here when we start to dig into the Trinity. But here's the picture that I think we can put together from the pages of Scripture. In the pages of Holy Scripture, we meet one true and living God who has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons. 
And as far back in history as you can dig, further back than Jesus and his birth, further back than like Moses and the story of the people of Israel as a nation, further back than Abraham, further back than Noah, further back than Adam, further back than the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars. As far back as you reach into history past, here's what you will find. The Father has always loved and been devoted to the Son. And the Son has always loved and been devoted to the Spirit. And the Spirit has always loved and been devoted to the Father. And so on and so forth. And in kind of the incomprehensible mysteries of the universe, at some point, out of that love of Father, Son, and Spirit within the one true and living God, there was this overflow of creation this overflow of everything that is, this overflow of us being made in His image to know Him and to enjoy Him forever, to bring Him glory. And even when we turned our backs on Him and ran our own way, So devoted was the Father to the Son and the Spirit. So devoted was God to His own glory. That this eternal purpose of the overflowing love of God, glorifying or radiating, it overflows now into a mission of redemption. A mission of restoration A mission to bring back and renew and restore those who were lost. A mission to seek and to save the lost. A mission to reconcile those of us who had fallen away. A mission to bring peace. Peace in our relationship with Him. Peace with each other. Peace in the world itself. Peace as far as the curse is found. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. That's the mission of God. That's the mission that the Father sent the Son on. And here's what I'm getting at with all of this That's the mission that Chris and Amy are participating in. That's the mission that Aaron and Andrea are going to extend. A mission of glorifying God by spreading His redemption as far as the curse is found. And here's the connection that I want us to make. If you're a believer, if you're a disciple of Jesus, the whole church plays a part in this. You are sent not just to kind of find life fulfillment, You are sent on a mission that is way bigger and way more eternally significant than that. You and I as followers of Jesus are drawn into the very mission of God Himself in some profound and and beautiful way such that Jesus says to His disciples, just as the Father sent me, to enter the world, to glorify His name by laying down my life in sacrificial service of others for their good and for the glory of God, so now I am sending you into the world to continue the mission of God. Now there's a very important distinction. In order to accomplish the mission of God, Jesus had to die as a sacrifice for our sins. He had to die once for all time as an atoning sacrifice for the sake of redemption. We don't go into the world to die on behalf of others' sins, but we do go into the world with the same mission of Jesus, to love and serve others and spread the message that tells of the hope that's found because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which has made possible peace with God for all who repent and believe. We don't die on behalf of others' sins. 
but we live our lives representing the message that one has already died. The one for the many. One's for all time so that we can be reconciled to God. This is why Christopher Wright puts it like this. Our mission is nothing less or more than participating with God in the grand story until he brings it to its guaranteed climax. Let me ask you, what are you living your life for? See, when we catch the grand scope of God's redeeming activity in this world, it opens our eyes, it awakens something inside of us that leads us to say, like those authors of the Luzon Covenant, Lord, forgive us. <laughs> forgive us for withdrawing from this mission that you've invited us into. As we continue this mission, we cannot forget the good news of peace. We cannot forget the scars of Jesus. We cannot forget the bigger mission that He invites us into. But there's a fourth thing here in this passage. Did you see it? Don't forget the Spirit's presence. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus had promised his disciples. And now as he prepares to send them out into the world, he reminds them of his intention that another helper, another helper will come. Look with me if you would at John chapter 20, verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is good news as well. You see, Jesus doesn't just call us to carry the torch forward and say, Good luck, storm in the castle. You think they're going to make it? Not a chance. He doesn't just send us in our own strength on an impossible-looking mission. No, when Jesus sends us out into this world with the message of redemption and hope of life in His name, He not only sends us with His message, He sends us with His very own Spirit present with us, in us, now, for the sake of that mission. What does God's Spirit do? Consider just a few things that the book of John tells us about this Spirit that Jesus promises and that Jesus breathes into the life of His disciples. God's Spirit gives life. According to John chapter 6, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. This life-giving Spirit is breathed into you if you're a disciple of Jesus. The Spirit of God not only gives life, the Spirit of God empowers true worship. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23 and 24. God's spirit empowers true worship of Him. God's spirit satisfies our thirsty souls. John chapter 7, on the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John adds a note of commentary, of God-inspired commentary, just in case we miss the point, saying, now this Jesus said about the Spirit. The Spirit of God that is given to disciples, it satisfies our thirsty souls. God's Spirit furthermore guides us in all truth. When the Spirit 
of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. More than that, this is one of the most precious things that the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God glorifies Jesus Christ and magnifies his worth in our hearts. He will glorify me, Jesus promised. When we suffer from dullness of vision of Jesus, when our hearts are not moved by the scars in His hands any longer, we cry out afresh to God's Spirit. And you know what God's Spirit does? He will glorify Jesus. This is the Spirit of God that Jesus breathed into the life of His disciples. This life-giving, worship-empowering, thirst-satisfying, truth-giving, Christ-glorifying Spirit is breathed into our souls as disciples of Jesus. And notice why for the sake of that mission. And so Chris and Amy, Aaron and Andrea, when you face challenging days, when you face hardships, when it feels like the sacrifices are great, I want to invite you to remember the value of the gospel of peace. I want to invite you to remember the scars in our Savior's own hands. I want to invite you to remember the greatness of the mission that we get to participate in, but I also want to invite you to remember God's own presence with you, empowering you to serve others to the glory of His name. For those of us who are called to represent King Jesus here in Illinois, I want to invite you as well. I want to invite you as well to never forget, to never forget the good news of peace, reconciliation with God, and the hope of the renewal of this whole world. I want to invite you to never forget the scars in the hands of our wounded Redeemer Himself. I want to invite you to not, re, to not forget, to always remember the greatness of this mission of God that we're invited to join our lives in. But I also want to invite you to remember the nearness of His ever-present Spirit who dwells within us. In fact, I wonder if some of us even today who just kind of have been following Jesus, I'm going to talk to some of us who have maybe been following Jesus for a little while now. Some of you have been following Jesus not very long. I love you. I'm not talking to you for a minute, okay? Stay with me here. But I want to talk especially to those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time. And there can kind of, we can hit a point in our journey of following Jesus where we kind of start to shrug our shoulders about the mission stuff. Like, it just ends up being costly. It's not fun to send my friends to another continent. It's not easy to get to church an hour early. Man, that's first world problems. <laughs> I pour into other people's lives and they walk away angry. I share the gospel with my neighbors and they don't seem interested. We follow Jesus for a while and sometimes the pains or the hardships or the challenges kind of mount up and we kind of start to shrug our shoulders at the mission of God and we say, I don't know, we're just going to have to leave it all in God's hands. Well, that's true. We do need to leave it all in God's hands. But notice how God in His hands intends to get this stuff out through us. Through the whole church. Filled with His whole Spirit. Empowered with the whole gospel of peace. Sent out by the wounded Savior Himself. 
I want to talk, especially those of us maybe who have been following Jesus for a little while now. I wonder if we need to breathe in deep. If we need to drink deep from the well of God's Spirit afresh today. So that our eyes can see once again just how great this message is. Just how good the good news really is for us and for a world desperately in need of redemption. I wonder if we need to drink deeply from the well of this truth once again and be drawn closer to the heart of our wounded Savior. I wonder if we need to drink deeply from that well and be inspired afresh by the greatness of the mission that we get to spend our lives serving. I wonder if we need to drink in deep afresh from the Spirit of God who gives life, who empowers worship, who guides us into all truth, who glorifies Christ, who will do that for the sake of others out there, but who is right here among us today, ready and eager to do that for us as well. Do you need to cry out to him right now? Here's the landing spot for this message. The main idea is this. The one who saved us by his scars sends us on his mission with his spirit. I want to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward. We're going to take this meal, this Lord's Supper together today, which is a reminder to us of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus on our behalf who gave himself for our sins and rose again in new life. It's a moment of communion, of fellowship, of refreshing, of nourishment, and strengthening for us today as we prepare for the next leg of this journey and the mission that he's sent us on. If you're here with us and you're not following Jesus, first of all, I want to thank you for joining us today, and I want to thank you for being here on kind of a different day, and I want to invite you to come back next week and help with setup crew. I'm just joking about that. But if you're here and you're not following Jesus, we're glad you're here. We're honored to have you with us today. We're going to ask you kind of to hang out where you are for the next couple minutes while people take the Lord's Supper. We'll sing one more song before we wrap up. The reason we suggest that is because taking the Lord's Supper is a sign of faith in Jesus. And so if you're not believing in him, it wouldn't be taking the Lord's Supper with integrity. But if that's you and you're not following Jesus, we would love to invite you even today. To draw near to our wounded Redeemer. To draw near through the blood that He shed on our behalf. And to begin experiencing peace with God even today through faith in Jesus Christ. We'd love to invite you even now to trust in Jesus and so join in rejoicing with us. At this time, for all who live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us, you may come and take the bread and the cup. You may come.